Welcome to 100 Ways, your simple reminder that you are home wherever you are and that everything is right the way it is right now. I'm your host, Laura Christine, fellow explorer of consciousness and this amazing, beautiful world. Let's get curious, dive into the duh, and find out what's here for us today. Welcome to 100 Ways. This is your daily exploration of self and soul. I'm your host and fellow explorer, Laura Christine. Let's dive in and find our way home. Okay, we made it out of the culty city, which we now know is called Katara. Actually, if you've ever been to Katara and back, let me know. <laughs> It'd be interesting to know if it actually is a culty place. And if it is, then I'm assuming I'm not going to hear from anybody <laughs> because you're still there and you're not hearing this. Now we are going to visit the city called Varnasi. So I sorted out the train system a little bit better and I was able to pretty reliably get where I had been intending to go. And I went down into the desert for a while and hung out with those folks and rode around on motorcycles and kind of did the stuff and just had a very lovely kind of vagabonding experience and went to the blue city. All the cities painted blue and rode on some camels in the desert and stuff like that. And then uh, got on a train because I was like, all right, Ethan. I know that I said that I was like going to stop smoking weed, you know, when I met that teacher in Rishikesh who was so simple and gentle. Yeah, but easier to say. Easier to say. And then do. Yeah. Especially under those circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even like the sadhu, like there are a lot of dudes with bodacious hair who smoke a ton of weed out there. When you're like hitchhiking, you end up hitting the chillum with this old Indian dude. If you don't, it's like weird. But at any rate, so it had come to the point in time when I was like, all right, I'm here for a real reason. Varanasi was the city that when I had been anticipating going to India, I said, all right, this is where I ought to go. Because it just seemed like, actually, I was in my office in Redmond, Washington, working on a programming project. And I opened up this chat window. There was some website back then that you could chat with random strangers. I think it was called Omegle or something like that. It just connects you with some random person. And this person was Indian. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm thinking about going to India. Where should I go? And they're like, dude, Varanasi, like, no question. And I was like, India has spoken. So I started researching it. Varanasi is called the city of the dead, or maybe it's not called that. But I'm just going to call it that anyway. It's probably called that, or it's probably called something much more poetic than that. But it's also on the Ganges River, the Ganja, Ganga, a lot of different ways of pronouncing it. It's a little bit further down. Up in Rishikesh, it's like pure torrential rain. And then at Varanasi, it goes through sort of like lower lying regions and stuff. But when it goes through Varanasi, it gets a whole nother sort of subset of things added to it. <laughs> because people from all over the region bring the dead to Varanasi to be burned. And they have pretty much like 24-7 these funeral pyres going there. It's also kind of like this city of celebration of passing into death. And there are these massive like a lot of tourists go there too and it's supported by people coming to see all the dead people get burned um and like these big parties and like every night or maybe it's like a couple nights a week or something they have these public burning ceremonies where they i don't think they light some new people on fire for the ceremony because it's like a very touristy thing but like they're definitely people smoldering in the background and stuff but also these people like dancing and they're wearing like ceremonial outfits and it's super intense 
and uh, very intense spot. Yeah, I remember riding the train in in the afternoon, and there were these just prodigious piles of trash along the railway, where it's like, I guess it was like the equivalent of a municipal dump, because in India, everybody just throws their trash everywhere, but then like eventually people collect it again, or it just sort of like slides down the streets, and it gathers, you know, if the cows don't eat it all, all the chip wrappers and stuff, you know, eventually it gets gathered, but so there were these giant piles of trash along the railroad, and I just got dropped off, and it was like, same deal, you drop in, and it's like, hot street, I've got my backpack, there's like markets, there's like people going every which way, I look for some water, kind of get situated, I'm like, okay, this is Varanasi. I start to kind of orient, I'm like, okay, well, which way is the water? Because the railroad didn't go along the river when it gets there, coming from the southwest as it was. And so I start heading toward the water, and very quickly this very strange man uh, approached me, uh, who was strange. I don't know what exactly about him was strange. He was just kind of like a little, like, just a little hurt, kind of leery. And I'm like, do you want to, like, kill me or fuck me or, or like, steal my money or, like, take everything, my soul? <laughs> like, what is it? There's clearly some objective you have here, and it's, like, making me a little uncomfortable. But also, he's like, I can go show you a place that you can stay. And for some reason, I was like, all right, whatever. You know, we'll go that way. And um, as we're going... He starts taking these, like, shriveled objects out of his purse. He has, like, this little bag that he's carrying with him. And in my sort of disgust and horror at what he proceeded to tell me, I sort of seemed to have forgotten exactly what I saw. But they were parts of his mother, and they were shriveled. He had brought them to Varanasi, I think for good reason, but I think he had ended up staying in Varanasi longer than you might expect if you were bringing a shriveled part of your mother to a city and leaving it off there. That kind of weirded me out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was also like, all right, like, okay, you know, when in Rome, I mean, it's like, this is the place that you bring parts of your relatives. It's something incredibly sacred about whatever he was doing. But it was also like, kind of the low rent version of, you know, (laughs) like, bringing your, your relatives on a sacred procession. It was like, oh, yeah. He opens his trench coat and he's got shriveled parts of a lot of different people. It's like, bro, like, not interested. Thanks. But anyway, he showed me this place that I could stay. I was basically planning to pretend to stay there and then immediately leave the second I out of his sight because I was like, all right, this is cool and stuff, but like not really the vibe I'm trying to have the whole time I'm here um, hanging out with this dude. But like it turned out that the place that he brought me to was actually lovely, quite interesting. It felt like a famous movie star would have a room there that they kept just in case they needed to return to Varanasi. It was very large, and there was almost no one there, but there was a a matron and a patron, and they took me in, and they gave me a room overlooking the water where I could play my bamboo flute that I'd made when I was in Hawaii. Somebody taught me how to make it, so I brought it. Finally, I, like, got to the water. You know, like, I could see this giant river and just appreciate how miraculous this place truly was. Like that same vibe of this ancient city that's been by the water for millennia and was just full of um, possibility. And I kind of got situated and I started to make inroads and kind of like get a vibe with the people and where the good food was and stuff and go on walks and met some different people there and had a lovely time. And um, But this was the first place where it really did seem like somebody could meditate on the street. 
and not be this dumb problem, you know, because like the streets, you know, like are either very rural and then it's like, then you're kind of like in somebody's front yard and it's like, I came all the way from America to sit in your front yard. But, But like the streets here were like ancient streets and just like everybody's streets, also crazy and sort of full of insanity and the coming and going of being and sort of things. And so I thought that this would sort of be a good place to perform some austerities of some kind because austerities are kind of a one surefire way to improving your meditative practice (laughs) (laughs) for some yeah for some i guess the buddha or like in siddhartha herman hesse's sort of recounting of the buddha he started off going through all these incredible austerities in the forest and sitting on beds of nails and petting scorpions or whatever (laughs) probably something much more austere than petting scorpions (laughs) i found this spot and i stashed my belongings in the hotel or no i guess i actually realized that i ought to have done that but i had all my belongings with me because i checked out of the hotel and i had this carpet or fabric that i had bought in the desert was it a magic carpet? It was a magic carpet. Because I'm like, oh, maybe another. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and, I, and, I, and I, I did this with Jared too. I started singing a song a freaking Disney made, and I'm like, nope, can't Arabian do that. Nights. But I'm not making money on this. <laughs> not this episode. Oh, anyhow. that's right. Yeah, we need to cut that so, part out. Better because... not. Better not keep singing. Oh yeah. Well, they'll not. They'll definitely not be able to tell any copyright infringement from my terrible rendition of that. I thought so. it was great. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Okay. Go. <laughs> um. You had all your belongings and a carpet and a magic carpet or material. Yeah. That I'm seeing as <laughs> the Aladdin magic carpet. It was a great tapestry. It was like a very soft, very large piece of fabric that you could fold many times to make a nice cushion. <laughs> nice. And so this was the first time that I meditated for a very long period of time without doing anything else when I was in India. Is that right? I'm not sure. What is a very long period of time for you? Um, it felt like a long-ass time because it was really hot and very mm-hmm. sunny. Yeah. It was like 24 hours just sort of in the sun and then staying awake at night and then in the sun again. Okay. And that felt like a long time. That's a long time. It definitely was interspersed with breaks, but I didn't leave my little magic carpet for that period of time because I had everything I need. I was I was sure to kind of like get enough water and some little cookies and four samosas. And then at, at one point, these kids, I should say where I was, I was like on this stone embankment by the water. And um, one of the things that sort of became immediately obvious was that I was going to have to deal with people noticing me and like testing me. Tourists and people that lived there immediately were like drawn to me because they're like, what is this dumb idiot doing sitting there like he's meditating, you know? And I was like, I should have maybe chosen a less visible spot, you know, (laughs) because like, like if you were walking by, you would definitely see me there because I was up on this stone wall with like a very nice backrest. And I did do some reclining meditation as well. I wasn't sitting in the lotus, you know, <laughs> moving or whatever. That's my favorite kind is the reclining meditation. Reclining meditation, yeah. (laughs) So people would come up to me, and I had decided that the only way to do this was to not speak, Mm -hmm. to really kind of convince myself that I was actually meditating, or to that I could sort of like continue this austerity. That was part of it, is that Mm -hmm. I just wouldn't talk to anybody. And if I just kind of closed my eyes, it worked pretty okay if people came by, but then I could kind of like slightly open them and see that they were still there. And so I... (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and they'd sort of be like hoping that I'd crack or something. And um, and that was great because it was like, yeah, I'm not going to crack. Keep on going. Like, keep walking. You're not going to see it happen. <laughs> I'm the master meditator right here. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then at some point, these kids way up high on the street above started throwing rocks at me from above. And they never hit me, and so they kind of gave up. It was very lonely at night because it sort of felt like, like, again, that sort of feeling of like I shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And another thing of like, this is very self-serving. I'm kind of like, is more exhibition. It's like the only way that I can possibly meditate this long is if I'm exhibiting, which is an interesting thing in general, exhibition in meditation. Is it purely prideful or like, does it serve some value? And I think the really optimistic and beautiful look at it is actually, this is a really good way to like encourage each other to meditate more as to like be e- egotistical about meditation. In general, ego isn't good. You're mm-hmm. trying to like get around that and stuff. But then if you're like, but I could meditate for longer than you, you know? <laughs> you're in the meditation hall at a silent retreat, or you're like, oh, I saw that your leg just twitched. <laughs> and you're like, that would never happen to me. <laughs> you know, it's like very performative type of meditation. It's like, is that purely an obscuration or is it useful? And it's like, actually, no, it's probably ultimately good. Yeah. Like I, I would say that nothing is wasted, and I always say all roads lead to home. Hmm. Even if the intention behind what you're doing is not necessarily aligned with what you want the intention to be or what the intention of the particular practice typically is, Hmm. you'll still find your way home eventually Hmm. through the ego or through the righteousness or whatever you're actually practicing. Hmm. It'll get you home. Yeah. Something will. Mm. Tell me more. Oh, now it's my turn to talk. (laughs) Yeah. Tomorrow you'll hear my response to his request that I tell him more. And the rest of Ethan's experience of the city of the dead. Until then, we are sending you all the love and then some more. We'll talk tomorrow. Thank you for exploring with me today. I would love to continue this conversation with you. We can do that at laurachristine.us. You'll find contact in the menu, or you can go to laurachristine.us slash contact, and you'll be taken right to it. Let's dive in a little deeper and see how fully we can flow with the duh. Thank you for being here. I would love to hear from you. Go to laurachristine.us to let me know your thoughts on this. And remember, as Rumi said, there are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Also, you can't fuck it up. I said that. (laughs) 